Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. One of these days, Joe, you're going to find your niche. There's still time. There's still time. We are continuing our sermon series in Colossians. Keystone theology. What we find here in the book of Colossians are the keystone, the the main ingredients that comprise our theology that compose who Christ is, what he has done. He is our foundation, and as Pastor Steve spoke on this morning, he is our rock, a.k.a. that cornerstone. At this time, let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we now turn our attention from singing songs, glorifying your name, worshiping you, we now want to proclaim your word to do the same, to glorify you, to worship you. I pray that the rest of our time here this morning can be used by the Holy Spirit to convict us in an encouraging way towards our eternal future and what that means for us where we are now currently as believers in Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Do any of you remember synonyms and antonyms? I remember first encountering synonyms and antonyms back in my elementary school days. So what is a synonym? For those of you that may need a refresher course, if you're like me, I need those all the time. See, a synonym is a word that is similar to another word or words that have a related meaning. Now, there are antonyms as well. Antonyms are quite the opposite. They are words that have opposite meanings. So I don't think, is Hope, she's not, she's with the children, right, in the nursery? So this week when I was preparing this sermon, I I asked her, you know, let's uh, come up with some synonyms that describe me as a husband. Because that's what you do with synonyms and antonyms. You take a, a word, and then you come up with like things for synonyms and opposite things as antonyms. And she had the audacity to say, no, let's come up with some antonyms for the word husband for you. <laughs> I mean, am I surprised? So I said, okay, let's bring it, you know. You're cute. You're clever. What, what do you got for me? The first word out of her mouth for the word husband, as it pertains to being an antonym, was Trophy. Some of you don't know what a trophy husband is, I can, I can tell. A, a, a trophy husband must first look good, laying around the house, living off the sugar mama. So she said, clearly that's not me. So I said, okay, let's, uh, let's see what else you got. She said the second word that came to mind to her was listener. And then she proceeded to tell me the third Thing that was an antonym that defined me, and I had to tell her to just, you know, stop talking because I couldn't hear what she was saying. <laughs> I mean, my ears just quit working like they normally do. I'm pretty sure she was talking, though, because I saw her, her gums bumping. But seriously, let's look at some synonyms and antonyms really quickly here for the word outdated. Much safer than the word husband as it pertains to us in our household. The word outdated, some synonyms, some similar words that describe the word outdated would be this. You see them here on the screen, antiquated, archaic, which actually means before, from another time maybe, obsolete, old hat. Antonyms for the word outdated, words that are completely opposite, 
current, modern, up-to-date, and obviously the word new. Those are the antonyms for the word outdated. Now let's use the word outdated in a sentence. And since we're at church, we're going to put Jesus in this sentence. So here is the sentence. Who we were before Jesus is an outdated version of who we are now in Him. See, the person we were before we came to know Christ is antiquated. That person is archaic, meaning that person is from another time. He or she is obsolete because everything about that person became old hat. Now, who are we now in Jesus? See, now we are current. Now we are new. We are modern. Coming to know Christ indicates that we are up to date. He is our current reality. And how can all of this be a reality for us? And it's a reality for us as believers, those who have saving faith in Jesus, because we are quite simply a new creation. And that brings us to the title of our sermon this morning. That title is this, Out with the Old, In with the New. Out with the Old, In with the New. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge at the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Amen. As we look at these verses this morning, we want to put them into a simple sentence that will become our main idea. That sentence is this, and it's quite simple. What we're looking at here this morning is this. A Christian's lifestyle should reflect the character of Jesus. A Christian's lifestyle should reflect the character of Jesus. And that is so important for what we are looking at here this morning and why it is that we're still here on this earth. And as that pertains to everything that we say here at Villa's Grace Church, know, grow, go. We want to know Him. We want to grow in Him for the purpose of going for Him. And when our lifestyle reflects his character. It makes the go portion, the ability for us to share the gospel, that much more effective. Some of you may know about Sevastopol. It's the largest city in the Crimean Peninsula, and it is a very 
important port within the Black Sea. In 2014, it was annexed by Russia. Some of you may know a thing or two about that. But however, long before Russia annexed Crimea, it actually belonged to the Russians under the rule of Prince Minishokov. I don't know how you do Russian. Minishokov, I think is how you say it. In 1854, an allied force consisting of a few countries came in. France, Sardinia, the Ottomans, and the British Empire besieged the important port of this Crimean Sevastopol in the Black Sea. And see, during the siege, as it was known, of Sevastopol, Prince Minushkov found his men in a desperate time. Therefore, this desperate time under this besiegement called for desperate measures. And he had to make one fateful decision because if he didn't make this decision then the barbarians were at the gate knocking at the door ready to kick it down what was that decision that he made he decided to sink 100 of his own ships at the entry of the harbor therefore the barbarians couldn't get in and they could not get out he did this to do precisely that keep the enemy out however by so doing what did he do in return he kept the Russians in. Nothing was coming in. Nothing was going out. Church, should we not do the same in our lives in certain areas? Shouldn't we too deny ourselves and pick up our cross daily as it says in the Gospel of Luke? Shouldn't we sink a hundred ships of pride and filled egoness that we have? See, we should forego certain things, not all things, but certain things. We should make any and all sacrifices necessary by forfeiting our earthly advantages and by forfeiting our earthly profits. Certain earthly companionships also need to be forfeited in some of our lives and certain earthly pleasures. Now, we're not sitting here saying everything you need to abstain from. Obviously, we spoke on asceticism a few Sundays ago. But in order to live a lifestyle that reflects the character of Jesus, there's a few things that we need to sink a hundred ships on, and we're encouraged by Paul to do just that in verses 5 through 8. So, what I want to ask as we begin here, what does it look like when we sink our 100 ships within these first set of verses, verses 5 through 8? See, there are a list, three-category list of what we should be sinking with these 100 ships. And when we look at these verses, it's quite obvious to us that these three things that we need to be sinking are perversion, anger, and slander. Perversion, anger, and slander. Now these verses will be on the screen for you so you can actually see the perversion, the anger, and slander. But the first thing that needs to be out with the old is the first on the list, perversion. It says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. Speaking of sexual immorality, impurity, passion, and evil desire, what is society's position on premarital sex? What is it? We have a few of us here who are set to be married soon. 
We have some of us here who were married long ago. Some of us are in the middle of our marriage. Some of us are single, wanting to be married, maybe not wanting to be married. But regardless of where you find yourself, what does society tell us? What is society's position on premarital sex? It's of value. That's what society says. It's of value to have sex outside of marriage. In fact, society would say it's downright indispensable. It's necessary or it's so essential. After all, how would you otherwise know if you're compatible? You know, biologically speaking, unless you didn't participate, church. Marriage isn't reliant on the physical act alone. In fact, according to statistics, the chances that a marriage will last is much higher for couples who have not experimented in sexual experimentation. Or shall I say, who have not participated in sexual experimentation. However, this younger generation is getting married later and later, let's face it. Some of you in here remember when people used to get married right at like 18, 19, 20, 21. Now we're seeing couples wait until they're in their 30s to get married or sometimes even later. But why is this? Why are we waiting longer and longer as a society to get married? It's because we're entertaining and maintaining, as it says here in the text, an evil desire. Now, before we go thinking this only pertains to the younger generation, we need to remember something. This pertains to all of us. After all, we're all being encouraged to be out with the old and in with the new. So remember, this does pertain to every last one of us, which is why Paul states what he states in verse 7 where he says, In these you too once walked when you were living in them. No one here is going to get a free pass on this one. No one. See, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, and evil desire should be part of the old, outdated lifestyle in which we once lived. Which is why Paul insists that we put to death these things, as he says. Put to death the practices of your past. This is a call for complete extermination. Not partial, not a fraction, but a complete extermination. Therefore, do not keep these desires alive through careful management and regulation. Because let's face it, on our own, that's what we tend to do. We tend to think that I can keep this under wraps. I can maintain these evil desires. I can throw a few regulations in my life on my own to keep these evil desires at bay. But for those of you who are still sitting there thinking that you've never struggled with said evil desires, just remember one thing really quickly here, because I know that there's a few of you thinking that, well, I've never had a problem with these evil desires, with sexual impurity and morality. I, I waited to my wedding day. Just, just keep this in mind. The easiest person to fool is yourself. I can tell you about a conversation I had on Friday at the barber shop that was rather comfortable or no, no, uncomfortable 
for me, especially when one of the guys I work with decided to tell the couple, the husband and wife that were in the room that I was a pastor and they were like apologizing up and down, like they need to apologize to me. But we're all guilty. What does Jesus say? If you look with lustful intent, you commit adultery where? Right here in your heart. The easiest person to fool is yourself. So also take notice of the end of verse 5. In covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is the same as greed. That's what Paul's getting at. Even with sexual desires, we're greedy. We're greedy with our possessions and things that we want. Therefore, a person who desires to have more and more of whatever it is, is the same thing. That is covetousness. That is the greed we're talking about. It's the same as a perverted sexual deviant because greed can be identified or defined as this. And I find this rather convicting. Sometimes we think it's all about more money, more money, more money, but greed actually can be the assumption that all things and passions exist for our own benefit. We're pretty good at doing that, aren't we? We're pretty good at taking everything in our lives and saying, hey, this only exists for me to consume and for me to benefit from. So what's the moral of the story? When we look at these first verses, this first set, what is the moral of the story? I think it's found right there in verse 6. Take a look at verse 6. It says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. His consistent, invariable reaction to sin. Think about that. The wrath of God is God's consistent, invariable reaction against sin. And that actually comes from Dr. John MacArthur. Those are his words, but he says it perfectly. This is how God reacts to sin each and every time. The second thing that needs to be out with the old for us is anger. We see that here. Verse 8 talks about anger, wrath, malice. See, the real encouragement here is for us not to be bitter. After all, in the book of James, what does it say? It says we are reminded that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And when malice is involved, that word malice, it reveals that our anger against others is done on purpose. That's what malice means. It means that we're purposely angry with somebody else. Now, the third and final thing that is brought up here in verses 5 through 8 and should be out with the old is slander. See, in verse 8, we're encouraged to put away, as it says, slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Church, this one's really easy, yet really hard to follow. There's, a, there's an antidote to this that we should take in each and every time to remind us not to slander somebody else. But we need to remember what that is and what we should be reminding ourselves of is this. When we slander other people, we are really slandering God because after all, we were all made in His image. And these three things that we need to be out with the old with bring us to our first point this morning. And that point is this. In order to reflect the character of Jesus, we must first put away all perversion, anger, and slander. We cannot begin to reflect the character of Jesus unless we have put away all perversion, 
all perversion, all anger, and all slander in our lives. Again, our main idea this morning is this. A Christian's lifestyle should reflect the character of Jesus. If there is one thing that is constantly consistent in today's age, it's definitely not myself. I don't know about you, but it's pretty hard to be consistent in life. It's probably one of the hardest things to do. But if there's one thing that is constantly consistent in this technological age in which we live in, every device we own, every app that is operated on said device needs constant updating, doesn't it? We're always updating our software. See, apps need to be constantly updating. It's a must thing. See, this is how they stay fresh. This is how they keep functioning properly. Each update further secures the app and it keeps it free from bugs that get into the software that create issues. Church, we're like an app created by God in which the Holy Spirit continues to update. We should be constantly and consistently renewed into Christ-likeness. And we can do this by continuing to put the old self off and the new self on. And we are encouraged to do as much in verses 9 through 11. And when we observe verse 9, we recognize what's out with the old. Very clearly in verse 9, what is out with the old? See, the old man who died with Christ, when we observe verse 10, because in verse 9, what does it say? It's not there on your screen, but I'm going to read it to you. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Put off the old self with its practices. And now verse 10, we recognize what's in with the new. The new man who is now alive in Christ, just like an app. The new self is being updated by the Holy Spirit, which is revealed when Paul writes this, when he says, being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This should give us great comfort. This has everything to do with what Mike was encouraging us with this morning before the song, No Longer Slaves. God sees us as that completed, finished version. We aren't there yet from our perspective, but we are allowing the Holy Spirit to move us along as we get there. And this should give us that great encouragement. This should give us a tremendous amount of hope. See, it's okay because not one of us here has arrived. Not one of us here has all the answers. Not one of us perfectly reflects the character of Jesus. Because if we did, we wouldn't need him, would we? For the record, this is why Christians are considered to be hypocrites. I say I'll go to church each and every Sunday and hang out with the rest of the hypocrites. See, it's not that we're trying to be hypocritical. It isn't like we're making an effort to do so. It's just that we should be honest with where we are currently. Do I do hypocritical things? Yes, I do. Will I sin against you? Yes, I will. 
but like we want to always encourage each other here at Villa's Grace. It's not about us sinning against one another as much as it is what do we do when that sin is brought to our attention. If I sin against you and you bring that sin to my attention, do I repent? Because if I repent, I'm beginning to allow the Holy Spirit to do what He does best. Update me. To move me further along towards Christ's likeness. Because if I admit my sin and repent and turn away from that sin, the name of Jesus is uplifted and glorified. It's not that we're hypocritical. Well, technically not. Oh yeah, that reminds me. This old self from verse 9. You can thank Adam. You can thank Adam. You can thank Eve for a lot of things too. I remind Hope of that all the time. But you can thank Adam. We can all thank Adam. The new self from verse 10. You can thank Jesus. Get an amen on that, right? Now, some of us may be asking, if I have a new self in Jesus, why do I still sin? That's a fair question. Why am I still sinning? See, it's not like we now have two competing natures. Our old self is dead. Our old self is not alive. Because of what Adam did, our old self is dead. But our new self is alive, and it's just that our new self, unfortunately, has memories of the old self. Memories of what the old self used to do. Church, we're being encouraged to no longer follow those old memories. That's what Paul's getting at. You may remember how you used to behave as your old self, but as your new self being alive, you have an opportunity to not continue to act in the same manner. And it's also important to know our sinfulness. Because after all, if we were without sin ourselves answering that question, why are we here, still sinning, it's important for us to know our sinfulness because if we didn't, how would we be able, with our new self, be able to relate to others who are still in their old self, still dead in their sins and transgressions? We have an opportunity. See, those memories, understanding where you once were, puts you in a better position to relate to people who are still there. That's why we are still left here on this earth. It's to share the gospel of Jesus with those who are yet to know him. Why, again, we say, know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. It's kind of hard to go with Jesus if you, if you don't remember what it's like to be a sinful person. So as Mike comes up, what I would like to do, we, we don't do this very often, but I want to do it partly because there's a really hard word to pronounce in here, and if you guys all read this with me, I'm not going to get called out on it. But I would like to do that really quick. I'd like for all of us, just, just in light of, of really what we see going on right now, what's being pushed right in front of our face on TV, on the internet, no matter where it is that you consume your media, in light of everything that we're being told, just read verse 11 aloud. I'm going to start and you guys join me here in verse 11. Let's, let's, let's try this together. Read it loud and proud, especially so you can drown out me trying to pronounce that Scythian or whatever, how you pronounce that. Verse 11, here it is. 
Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised. Do you know what you just read? Christ is all and in all. Do you recognize what this verse is telling us? Despite our need to individually put off the old self and put on the new self, we are united in Christ. There is no longer the separation that existed before. Collectively, we are out with the old and in with the new. Human categories are now outdated. They are antiquated, archaic, obsolete. They are old hat. Why? Why? Because Christ is all and in all. Do you know why the world refuses to listen to the gospel message, the gospel, the good news of Jesus? Why does the world refuse to listen to this message? See, the reason why the world refuses this message is because when Jesus conquered, his conquest included racism, his conquest included xenophobia, his conquest included disunity. That's what he defeated. Church, when we commit to continually putting on the new self, when we commit to continually allowing the Holy Spirit to update us, that's what we get to represent to the world. As it says in verse 6, it said in verse 6 earlier, God whose wrath is coming. Because God has consistently over time always responded to sin with wrath. That's why when Jesus was on the cross, God exhausted all of his wrath upon Christ. That's not what we like talking about though sometimes. God crushed Jesus because he had to crush sin. Jesus took on our sin and took that beat down for us. Church, I, I don't know about you. I really don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like this is one of the greatest times in American history to be a Christian. I really do. I think that where we are heading as a nation, I think that this is the best time. This is the most exciting time for us in the history of the United States of America to be a Christian especially since all the problems that we currently think that we have as a nation were already solved by Jesus. See, everybody's looking for answers, but they're rejecting the one that's blatantly right in front of their face. It's Christ and Him crucified. And we now have that opportunity to reflect His character, everything that He conquered. So we need to arrive here at this point, at our second point, our final point, and that point is this. In order to be renewed in the image of Jesus, we must first commit to putting on the new self. See, putting on the new self is allowing the Holy Spirit to continually update you. It's allowing Him to 
conform you more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And once people see us being conformed into what Jesus conquered, they're going to want some of that too, especially since there's a lot of people right now that are searching for answers as to why this world behaves in the manner in which it behaves. Again, our first point this morning was this. In order to reflect the character of Jesus, we must first put away all perversion, anger, and slander. And our main point from the text this morning was simple. This is what we take home. This is what we leave with today. A Christian's lifestyle should reflect the character of Jesus. After all, that's why we follow him, right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that we continue to be convicted by your word and to allow your truth to penetrate and allow the Holy Spirit to continue to conform us. Lord, no matter the conviction that we have, I pray that we are always hopeful. We look at it as a positive ordeal to go through in order to understand what it's like to be in a relationship with you more and more. I pray that we continue more and more each day to learn to be in a relationship with you. And I pray that as a church family, we can be used to share that truth with others, with those who do not yet know you. We pray all of this in the name of Christ who makes this possible. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.